Hey, I want to ask you if you would to open your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19, okay? If you didn't think to bring a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair and the rack underneath you can probably find. And I really encourage you to find it. I'm not going to put this text on the screen today, um, so you'll want to follow along. There is, if you have a smartphone and you have the Bible app on it, um, there is a Bible app event for this, and so you can follow along that way. We're in Luke chapter 19. We're going to be reading the story of Zacchaeus. Do you remember him? Do you remember the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I knew that song until you sang it, Pastor, but I don't recognize that melody, right? Yeah. Before we begin talking about Zacchaeus, though, I want to tell you what we're doing here. Um, We took a break for Easter, but we're actually in in a sermon series about lies that even some seasoned Christians tend to believe. And the first one we spoke about is that lie that says, you are alone. And I refer to that as kind of the lie of aloneness. You are not alone, ever. And don't buy that. Don't believe that lie. Second lie we talked about was the lie of uselessness, that, ah, I don't think God can use me. I failed as a parent. My kids are doing bad, so I can't, God can't use me anymore. That's a lie. If you look at men and women throughout history, and even in Scripture, you will see there are a lot of foibles there, and God uses them just the same. The third lie that we talked about was a lie of independence that says, hey, I'm I'm my own man. I can do what I want to do. And that's a lie because the Scripture says you were bought with a price, and you're not your own. The fourth lie we talked about was a lie of helplessness. It kind of says, or hopelessness, it kind of says, I can't change. I'm just stuck the way I am. And I'll never be the person that God wants me to be. That too is a lie. And you must not believe that lie. The most recent lie we spoke about is the lie that says, no one's interested in your Jesus. And that's the lie of silence, that your faith is something meant to be kept private. And nothing could be further from the truth. People are starving to hear about Jesus. And if you know how to give away your faith, you hear that phrase, um, people will respond in positive ways and you can, you can actually uh, see wonderful things happen. The lie I want to talk to you about right now is the lie of insignificance. It's a lie that says you're a nobody, that you're not important, that other people are important, but somehow or other, you're not. You got left out of the priority list in life. And that's not true at all. But you see people with this lie, um, and, and sometimes, ironically, they look spiritually mature. They almost look humble, like, oh, that person is just so humble in the way they present themselves. Sometimes that might be the case, but sometimes they could be believing a lie. For example, they, they put others first. You guys go first. No, you guys, you guys go first. Now, that can be a beautiful act of sacrifice, especially if it's a dessert bar, Right? But some people have other people go first, not because they're sacrificing and wanting to build up the other person, but because they feel like, I'm just, I'm not important enough to go first. You go first. You see it other places. You see it when a group of people are together and they're talking about a topic, maybe a Bible topic even, and, and there's one person who you say, so what do you think about this? And, and they go, oh, what I have to say, it wouldn't, it wouldn't mean anything. Now, sometimes they're right, <laughs> and you need to leave that alone, right? But other times... It's not that they're being humble and polite and letting others do the speaking. It's that they feel like their thoughts don't matter. And so they feel like, I'm just not important. Uh, You know, somebody else can talk. I'm not important. This is kind of a crazy place that I see this. Sometimes I see this when I'm talking to someone who is in need of prayer. You know, maybe someone who has just learned, I have cancer. And and I, I say to them, can I put you on our prayer list? Could I put you on our e-prayer line? Would you like our church family to be praying for you? And, and the reply goes something like this. Oh, no, no, there are a lot of people more important than me you should be praying for. As though prayer is something we only have a little bit of, so we've got to use it just on a few people, right? 
Or although there is, you know, there's not room in our heart to pray for, for you. I, I, I don't think they believe either of those things. I think that sometimes when people say, sometimes it's a false humility and they need to stop that. But sometimes it's just that they don't feel important. They feel like, yeah, well, I do have that need, but, but I'm just not, I'm not really a priority. That's a lie. That's a lie. And I want to show you today that you are a priority with God. And the reason for that is because Jesus knows a treasure when he sees one. He knows a treasure when he sees one. I was putting this sermon together, doing a little research, and I came upon a story that's just a great story. Later on, it was debunked. But we're going to treat it like it's a great story, okay? And I'm going to tell you this story. It's about something that happened at a gem show. It was a gem and precious mineral show in Tucson, Arizona. There's this guy. You might have heard this on the news because it was all over the news a few years ago. There was this guy. He was a um, gem um, collector and vendor, and he's walking around this large room auditorium, not even auditorium. It's, it's like one of those uh, places you go for like a, a, a show where they're selling stuff and things like that. He goes in, and as he's walking around, he sees this one guy has a bunch of rocks there in Tupperware. And he picks up this one that's about the size of a potato. And he looks it over a little bit. And he says, how much do you want for that? Now, the guy with the gems in the Tupperware, he's like me. He just found some rocks, and he's out there showing them. But the guy that's now holding this in his hand, he indeed is, um, he's an expert. He buys and sells these things. He's a gem dealer. And he picks it up, and he says, how much do you want for this? And the, and the seller says, uh, I was asking $15. And they talk back and forth until the guy finally takes it for 10 bucks. And then he takes it to an expert, and he has it appraised and certified. The stone was certified as a 1,905 carat natural star sapphire. It was appraised at $2.28 million. (laughs) I'm guessing the guy with the Tupperware felt pretty foolish, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he was the kind of guy that wouldn't even know a treasure if he held it in his hand, you know? It, it really took a lover of stones to recognize the value of that sapphire. And it takes a lover of souls to recognize the value of people like you and like me. And those who don't recognize the value of human beings are people who wouldn't know a treasure if they held it in their hands. I might look at you. Or you might look at me and miss the incredible value that is there. But Jesus, the lover of our souls, he sees you and he sees me as treasures. And the scripture we're going to read today bears that out. We're going to talk about how that reality is transformational. So we're in Luke chapter 19. We're going to read 10 verses. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Follow along silently as I read this passage for you. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, 
Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Now, as I look at this story, I see that Jesus uh, is illustrating that Zacchaeus is a priority to him. And I know this because Jesus gives Zacchaeus his attention. I mean, Zacchaeus seems to be the seeker in this. He's a guy that's hoping to catch a glimpse of this Jesus that everybody is talking about. Jesus, you could say, has Zacchaeus' attention. He's running around, working through the crowd, trying to get, finally gets to the tree so he can see him. But what Zacchaeus doesn't know is that he has Jesus' attention, probably even before he went up the tree. And Zacchaeus was going to call him out. Jesus actually gave him this attention because Jesus has something that Zacchaeus needs. He has something we all need. It was strange for Jesus to call Zacchaeus in this way. And the reason was, it's in the scripture, it's because he was a tax collector. And if you look at verse 2, if your Bibles are still open, and you look at verse 2, you'll see he wasn't an ordinary tax collector. Look what it says in the middle of that verse. He was a chief tax collector. And that meant a couple things. Number one, it meant that he got his job illegitimately because nobody got the job of tax collector in, in Israel unless he bribed a Roman official. And so, you know, everybody else may be standing at the job center trying to get the job, but he's cheating, he's going around and he's bribing someone to get that job. That's not honorable. But beyond that, worse, he's making his living by cheating people because that is what all tax collectors in that day did. Rome was a military occupation in Israel. And Rome told him, here's how much you can collect. And then Rome would say to him, and if you can get any more, have at it. Because you're one of our men, Zacchaeus. You're a tax collector of Rome. And if you can cheat them out of a little, if you can trick them out of a little, if you can blackmail them, if you can swindle them, that's all good. You can keep whatever extra you would get. And history tells us that everybody who was a tax collector, did that. This passage tells us Zacchaeus was pretty good at it. Because at the very end of verse 2, the last three words say, and was wealthy. (laughs) So he knew what he was doing. He was cheating good people. But it gets worse for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is kind of a traitor. Actually, for a Jewish guy to be working for the enemy, the Roman occupation, that's a little bit treasonable, isn't it? There's not a lot of patriotism In this man, there's not a lot of honor here at all. And so in this story today, we see Zacchaeus is trying to get a glimpse of Jesus and it's not working for him. And the text says it's because of his stature. He was was short in stature. I believe, well, it's a text. I have to believe that's true. I have to wonder sometime if maybe there was another reason. Have you ever been, I'm six foot two and when I'm standing with a group of people, there's always somebody trying to get in front of me. If they're six foot two, I generally don't let them. But if they're five foot eight, that's fine. You can get in front of me. I'll look right over you. That just seems fair to me. But nobody's doing this for Zacchaeus. Do you know why? <laughs> because they probably know who he is. And I wanted to, I'm going to tell you, just honestly, if I were one of the people in that crowd and I saw that little scoundrel trying to get in, I'd elbow him out just on general principles. You know? Right? Because people would have hated people like Zacchaeus. And how do you think that would make Zacchaeus feel? 
Think about it. You've chosen a profession and you've engaged in it and now you are hated. I guess he'd feel angry. He might feel sad. He could feel bitter. I want to say this. He would feel miserable because it's miserable to be hated by others. But there's another reason he would feel miserable. Because I don't care who you are, if you're made in the image of God and you know right from wrong, then if you're Zacchaeus, you're going to feel that sense of guilt. And a guilty conscience, that's a hard thing to live with. That's a hard thing to, to have going. When you have guilt cooking on the back burner of your stove, it doesn't smell like bacon. It smells awful, like burning rubber. What is this in my house? It stinks. Oh, that's guilt. And it's not a good thing. You see, you can't be Zacchaeus and be living this life of sin and have even an ounce of self-respect in your being. And it is likely that not only people disliked Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus probably disliked Zacchaeus and just felt miserable about being who he was. He knew this of Jesus, though. He knew that, that Jesus has this reputation that no other teacher, no other religious figure really seems to have. And the people make issue of it in verse 7. When he says, Zacchaeus, I think I'll go eat at your house, you have to understand that's an honor that Jesus says, I'm going to eat at your house. And in verse 7, right there in the middle, it says, he's going to be a guest of a sinner. And they're muttering about that. They're angry about that. It's not the first time Jesus has done that. Four chapters earlier, Jesus, uh, it says of him that tax collectors and sinners in Luke 15 gathered around him to hear him all the time. And so surely Zacchaeus had knew about this. He got wind of this. And maybe even he took courage because of this, knowing Jesus' reputation, that Jesus was willing to hang out with people like him, he probably thought, Jesus doesn't hate like other people hate. And how can that be? Because honestly, that's probably what Zacchaeus had had a gutful, was the people hating him. Jesus actually took people like Zacchaeus and he liked them. And Jesus illustrates this. He says in the last verse that we read, it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost because people are important to Jesus. In fact, that's a core value of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. One of the things we believe at our very core is that lost people matter to God. He wants them found. And when they are found, they continue to matter to him. You matter to God, period. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, if you're on track with God, if you've never encountered God, if you're, if you're backslidden, what is that the word they use? Wherever you are, God gives you his attention and you matter to him. And when you feel like, I don't think I matter to God, you know, whatever reason you feel that way, you're believing a lie that even some seasoned Christians believe. Don't believe it. Jesus makes you a priority. And Jesus actually honors people like Zacchaeus. He gives honor to people who are just not honorable. And listen to this. It's not because honor is unimportant or because honor is cheap. He honors people because honor is essential. Honor is an interesting word. I'm coming to think the older I get that human beings cannot live without an awareness and a sense of being honored just like you can't live without love. I guess you could live without love, but who would want to? And probably you're not really living if someone doesn't love you, just even as a brother or a sister. I would say you cannot live without honor either. Honor is a very tricky kind of a thing. 
Jesus warns people, don't seek honor from men and women around you. He says that in Matthew chapter 6. He says, be careful not to practice your righteous acts in front of others to be seen by them. If you do this, you get no reward from your Father in heaven. So Jesus' very language there says, there is a reward coming from your Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven wants to give you honor, and I have wired you, so you'll want that. So don't do your righteous stuff in front of people to get the honor there. Do your righteous stuff quietly so that you can receive the kind of honor that really means something. Jesus encourages us to seek honor from God. In fact, he coined a phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. That's an expression of honor. It's a commendation coming from him. I really don't think you can live without a sense of honor. And I want to say this to the men. Listen to this, men. You can't live without a sense of honor. Women too, but men specifically. It says in the book of Ephesians, God says, husbands, love your wife as you love yourself. And then it says this, it says, and a wife must respect her husband. That's honor. Because God knows that men need honor, but women need it too. We all need it. We have a craving for it. Now, I want to say to you that Jesus alone can actually fill your need for honor. Your wife can't do it. Your husband can't do it. They can give you little pieces of honor. I can give you little pieces of honor, but Jesus does it in a way that no one else can. And I want to kind of talk about that. I want to illustrate it from a story um, in my own life. I want to suggest to you that, that honor changes you. That when someone shows you honor, it makes you stand tall. And you can even see it in the posture of people when they receive honor. You can make a man, you can make a woman stand taller when you catch them doing something good and point it out. Because when you point it out, they sense the honor. And they stand tall when they sense that. Several years ago, I was doing a funeral for a stranger. I've done a lot of those through the years. This was a graveside service. There was no funeral home service. There was no church service. We were just going to go to the cemetery and the funeral director was uh, double scheduled. So he said, Steve, would you just take care of this? Would you meet them there? And I said, sure, I'll be glad to do that. I arrived at the cemetery. It was just about two miles past the end of nowhere. That's where the cemetery was. I got there and it's just me and two of the cemetery attendants, the grave diggers are standing there and we're waiting for the family to come. When the family arrived, it was the oldest son, two da- the only son, two daughters, and the mom, the widow. That's, that's who was there. And so they pulled up, and they had the, the, the elderly gentleman had been cremated, so they had the cremains in the little vessel, the container that they put that in. The hole had been dug. It's maybe two to three feet deep there. And, uh, and so we're getting ready to go from the vehicles to the gravesite site. And I, the, the cemetery people said to the, to the family, would we be able to carry that for you, please? And the son said, no. I'm carrying that. And then I looked at him and said, hey, I would be glad to carry this for you. And he said, that's my dad. I am carrying him. Just like that. That emotion was in his voice. That's my dad. I am carrying him. So he went over and he put put his dad's remains beside the, the grave. I did the ceremony. It was very short. Got to the end of it, near the end of it. And it was time for him to put his dad there. And he, he, he bent down. He put his knee down and he got that and he bent down in there. He's about my age. He's bending down in there and he's, he's making sure it's straight. He's being very careful. He's very gently. And he puts it in just right. He gets back up. 
And then I pronounced the benediction, the closing prayer. And they began to fill the grave. I walked over to that gentleman and he was standing kind of like this, watching him fill the grave. And I said, hey, I put my hand out and I shook his hand and I held on to it. And I said words like this, any father would be very pleased with what you did today. You showed your father respect. You did an honorable thing. And now he's not standing like this. He stands up straight and tear running down his cheek and looks me in the eye. And he says, thank you. That small act of honor that I did meant something to him and changed him on the inside. I could pull that off because I'm the preacher. (laughs) I'm the guy with a tie on in that event. I seem to have some kind of authority and respectability in that context. And when he sees that authority and that respectability, honoring him, he says, yeah, that feels good. Just think if I would have been Jesus, right? Because God, when he looks at a person and shows that person honor, how tall does that make you stand then? How does that change you at that moment? Honor can transform your thinking. Zacchaeus did not have moments like that. He didn't have moments like that. I mean, he pays someone off so he can get a job. There's nothing honorable there. He cheats people so he can have more money. Who's going to honor him for that? No one of report. He betrays people by working for the enemy for Rome. Who's going to pat him on the back for that and say, you've done an honorable thing today? Nobody's going to do that. But Jesus, because of his grace, shows him honor. Jesus seems to kind of prime the pump in a life that is dry and empty of honor. And he walks straight up to the tree that Zacchaeus is in. When he reached the spot, verse 5 says, he looks up and says to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I want to stay at your house today. Now, if I did that, that would be a problem. Deb, I'm coming to your house for lunch today. Deb looks like, really? Right? Because we live in 2018 in central Pennsylvania, and you don't invite yourself to somebody's house. You're honored if they invite you, but you never invite yourself. In the first century, if a teacher of Jesus' status said, Pratan, I'm coming to eat with you, that would be shocking. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that Zacchaeus doesn't just fall out of the tree from shock on this. Like, whoa, you're coming to eat with me? No preacher of your status would ever do such an honor for me. I can't believe that. Why? Why can't you believe that, Zacchaeus? Because I'm a nobody. Because I'm, I'm a waste. Because I'm not important. No, 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 Zacchaeus. You have believed a lie that even some seasoned Christians believe. Nobody is a nobody. Nobody is a waste. Nobody is unimportant. You are a priority to God. And he would show you that you're a priority to him. He would even give you this honor. Jesus gives his attention to Zacchaeus. He honors Zacchaeus. And and Jesus engages us. And he engages us personally. You know, most religious people would have walked right by that shameful little man looking on from the tree, and just paid him no mind. Jesus doesn't do that. He specifically engages him. You ever go to the nursing home, and there's some people in the hallway, 
and you can tell that they're having some cognitive issues. You know what I'm talking about? Man, I got to tell you, I used to walk by like, you know, maybe they're in this row of seats here. And, and, and when I'd see them there, I'd be like, I got to get by these people because I don't. What if they say something? Stop doing that. They're human beings, right? They're human beings. And when you just reach out and engage them and say, how are you doing there? Is that your chewing gum on your hand? Yeah. Go ahead and shake my hand with it anyway. Yeah. It's good to see you there. Yeah. Shake my hand. You feel that chewing gum? Yeah. It's good to see both of you today. Okay. Right? You see, when you do that to someone, when you engage them personally, that's a, that's a great thing to do. Jesus does that with Zacchaeus. And when I say personally, I mean specifically. He, he loves, not generally, but specifically. I didn't ask permission, but I'm going to use Sid Bell as an illustration today. She's like, thanks for that, Pastor Steve. I don't know anyone who loves children more than Sid Bell. She loves everybody's children, you know? She would probably pay me to let her serve in a nursery. I mean, she just loves children, right? But have you seen her with her granddaughter? It's a different kind of thing there, right? She loves very specifically to those children who are her own. Even though she has this general love for children, which is amazing, there is a specific love that she has, that any parent who is healthy has, that any grandparent who is healthy has, that you love about your children, grandchildren, their uniqueness, their individuality, their quirkiness, their little crooked smile. You love everything about that because you love specifically. So does your Father in heaven. It's not like he just looks at humankind and says, yeah, I, I like them, but, but he calls them individually by name. He knows your name and he cares for you personally. Hundred sheep, Jesus says. They're all in the fold. Whoop, wait, I'm missing one. Got 99 in the fold, but there's one out here. I'm going to leave these ones safe here. I'm going to go find just one. Why? Because every one of them is a priority in my mind. Every one of them is important. And that kind of specific love transforms you personally. It transforms Zacchaeus. I mean, if if you think about it in verse 8, Zacchaeus says, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And then he says, "And, and if I've cheated anybody out of anyone, I'll pay back four times that amount. That's transformation. Because here's a guy who had cared for no one except himself. And now he's caring for the poor. And here's a guy who has lived a life of nothing but taking, 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 theft. And now... He's paying it back times four. And here's a guy who followed no one but his own sinful heart. And he has what the Bible calls repented. And he's now following Jesus. What made the difference? Jesus. How did he make the difference? He gave him attention. He chose to honor him. And he showed him genuine, personal, specific love. I don't think that Jesus could have made it any more clearly that he valued Zacchaeus than what he does in verse 9 when he says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Everyone else saw this selfish little man in a tree trying to get a glimpse of this Jewish teacher passing by, but Jesus saw a man that needed some attention. He saw a man who was starving for honor. He saw a man that needed to be loved. And 
When Zacchaeus experienced those things from Jesus, something inside him changed. He repented, he was transformed, and he followed Jesus. All of that happened because Zacchaeus was a priority in Jesus' life. And you are too. You see, God sees you as important. He communicates that with such tenderness. It is amazing to me how he communicates it in the book of Isaiah. In chapter 49, God goes to this length to kind of identify himself with a mom. And he says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast or have no compassion on a child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. So the next time you see a mom that's nursing, just go up and and say, so is that child a priority in your life? You won't do that, right? Because you know how ridiculous that would be to do. We all know that that child is a priority in that mother's life. So are you in God's life, in God's mind. You are that kind of priority to him. That transforms your life. You know, in a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion. And we're going to hold this little oyster cracker in our hands. And, and I'm going to remind you that this represents Jesus' body. And, and I might say something like in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, where it says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is, and here's the phrase, for you. Hear those two words? For you. Jesus gave his body for you. Do you know why? Because you're a priority with him. And and then in the very next verse, in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, it says in the same way he took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out, can you guess the next two words? For you. Why? Because you are a priority with him. When you recognize that, that can turn your heart toward him. It can change everything about you. Jesus, the lover of your soul, sees what others cannot see. He sees you as valuable, important, and as a priority. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and as we do, as we do, we will thank him for his amazing attention that he has lavished upon us. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Father in heaven, we are thankful for this chance to be gathered together and to celebrate communion. In just this moment, we're going to take the bread, we're going to take the cup, both of which were given for us. As we take them, we take them with a sense of appreciation. We take them with a sense of humility and awe. We will take them with a sense of transformation that you, through the way you interact in our life, by your grace, change who we are. Make it so for Christ's sake. Amen.